Welcome back to Tradman. How you doing, Jace? Pretty good. How about yourself, Mark? Oh, not too bad. Wrapped up Thanksgiving this week, and we've got uh, Advent starting tomorrow. So that's our uh, the new liturgical year, and uh, looking forward to. I always kind of like Advent because it's like a it's like a mini Lent. You know, it's not quite as penitential as Lent, but it's not. It's it's like an it's like an opportunity to really prepare yourself for the for the birth of Christ by, um, you know, doing some good examination of conscience and um, uh, making a few sacrifices. And I feel like it really does prepare you. So when Christmas comes, you really get that sense that um, God has come to rescue us out of the depths from which we dwelt. You know, all of those generations before Christ and. Um, yeah, it's, I, I've, I've always just got a lot out of Advent. I really like that, that liturgical season. Yeah, it's always been my favorite time of year, just period. But I tell you what, the, the richness of this time of year has, has sure taken on a new, um, a new role since, you know, my conversion to Catholicism. So, mm. uh, yeah, I, I love the time of Advent. Uh, it's, it's very, now, it's some very, Protestant you know, very, denominations, very good for me, I should say. Now, some Protestant denominations do celebrate Advent to some degree. Did, were, did you, in, in the denomination that you grew up in, did you guys have Advent? No, we did not. And Christmas was completely uh, secular in, in the sense that we we grew up uh, being taught and not believing that that. Basically, we didn't know when Christ was born. The Bible didn't tell us to celebrate his birth, specifically type type kind of mindset. So while we celebrated gotcha. all the secular aspects of, of Christmas, you know, the family, the 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 presents, you know, and all the, the you know, the fun tales that go along with it, we, we didn't celebrate mm-hmm. it in a religious sense. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay, that's interesting. Because I, I, I know that... Um, the Methodists, I believe, have a version of Advent, although obviously it's nothing like what the Catholics are doing. And I, I sometimes I, I this is often why I question the efficacy of ecumenism, because a lot of the times we're all using the same words, but we mean very different things by them. Like, you know, uh, we're all using the word bishop and church and Eucharist, but we but what good does that do if we all mean very different things by these words it's difficult to come to any sort of um meaningful dialogue in a lot of cases well i i agree and one of the you know how about the one of the biggest ones the differences is just in the word prayer you know um that's that's a big hurdle hurdle to overcome between protestants and catholics you know? Really? In what sense? In what sense do you think? So I've never, because I I've never thought about that before. So if if I were to talk to a Protestant, and as a Protestant myself in my my former life, so prayer is viewed as only directed towards God. Only God is worthy of prayer. Prayer, in a sense, is viewed as a form of worship. You know, where okay. whereas Catholics, we kind of take on the older idea of prayer in the sense that. You know, it's it's not an act of worship because, you know, as Catholics, we, you know, are we look at at sacrifice as being an act of worship. Right. Not mm. not, not necessarily prayer, asking somebody to pray for us, um, because, you know, under the older 
understanding of the word prayer you know you you can read old shakespeare's play plays and he'll say pray tell me you know like please you know let me know or hey uh, uh step in for me help me here type deal whereas many protestants will view prayer as kind of like we do adoration it's only do god gotcha well it's interesting you mentioned that because in the practice of law when you make a motion to the court for something you if you, you first lay out what this is, this is a motion for uh, increased visitation between whoever. Um, and then you lay out all the reasons why you think there, you're, you should be granted this motion. And at the very end is a short paragraph stating what it is you want from the court. And that is always called the prayer. Hmm. And it even, even says it right there, the prayer. And then there's a little thing, we are asking the court to grant whatever you know so that that's interesting that you mentioned that because I've, I've i guess i've always kind of known that but i've never really thought about how that breaks down and the differences between catholics and protestants so that's interesting yeah so interesting like stuff. you know i've had a conversation since my conversion and i was probably i don't remember off the top of my head but i was probably guilty of the same thing when you know if i was speaking to a catholic you know we may pray to the blessed virgin mary we may pray to saint joseph or saint nicholas or whoever it may be and they will view that as, whoa, that's why, why are you worshiping these people? Why are you worshiping hmm. these saints? And it's like, well, no, 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 that's not what we're doing, you know? Right, right. So we're, we're entering into, when we pray, we're actually entering into the communion of, of the whole church's prayers. So, um, so and, th and that counts for the Virgin Mary's prayers as well. So we're... We're not praying to her. We're praying with her, and we're asking her to pray for us. Right. So um, we enter into a communion. The whole church prays together, sort of a thing. So well, uh, prayer prayer to the saints is simply just, it's no different than asking your buddy to pray for you. No, I, I agree. Yeah. And I just had kind of a butterfly moment, and I'm going to go go with it for just a second. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, as a lawyer, to, you, to tell me if I'm wrong on this. When when we were dealing with uh, or we still do when when I have uh, contracts or or you know agreements that are made between my company and contractors or whatever, you know sometimes you'll see the word shall this shall be done and we were told we were told a couple of years ago that when you see shall it's like you will do this there's no if you can do it or whatever you know it's like it, it's basically if you agree to the document all the shalls are no ands, if, or buts, that you have to do whatever comes after the shall. Yeah, yeah, have you heard that? Yeah, no, that's, that's and that's why uh, there's often a, a difference in statutory language between um, uh, things that say may issue and shall issue. Mm -hmm. So yep. uh, this particularly comes up in, in gun rights legislation, where uh, if, if you live in a state that requires you to have a license before you can carry a firearm, um, then depending on how the law is written, it might be up to the individual governor or whoever signs that permit if he wants to give you the permit or not. But if the law says he shall issue, then barring a good reason that he cannot do that, it doesn't matter if he wants to or not, you've met the statutory requirements and you have to be issued the permit. So, And, um, and that was kind of, uh, as you were talking about that, that was kind of a... Uh... A, a good transition, I thought, because I was going to ask you: Do do guns have anything to do with our discussion today? 
<laughs> I think so. I, bit, I, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but possibly not. And that's, that's something that we're going to have to get into for sure, because um, there is a, there is a little bit of, of a difference in how our, 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 you know, man-made civil and criminal laws work versus how the moral prescriptions of the catechism work. And, and we'll get a little bit into yeah. that. Um, but the first thing we want to do is say a prayer. And um, Jason, you pointed out a great prayer in the catechism that sort of deals with what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And this is a prayer for our political authorities. Uh, so for those of you uh, who are listening, please feel free to join us and um, ask, invoke the divine blessing and ask that we have an edifying discussion here this evening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. For our political authorities, grant to them, Lord, peace, health, concord, and stability, so that they may exercise without offense the sovereignty that you have given them. Master, heavenly King of the ages, you give glory, honor, and power over the things of earth to the sons of men. Direct, Lord, their counsel, following what is pleasing and acceptable in your sight, so that by exercising with devotion and in peace and gentleness the power that you have given to them, they may find favor with you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. And and I don't know if you mentioned it. If, I, if you mentioned it, um, I, I'm apolo I apologize for the repeat. But I think it's also interesting, the prayer you said, uh, the Catechism says it's the most ancient prayer for political authorities from Pope St. Clement of Rome. So, yeah. Yeah, goes back a long time. And, it, and for those of you who are interested, uh, this prayer was found in uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1900, um, in the section uh, called Participation in Social Life. And essentially, our idea for this episode is there uh, seems to be some, some things being advocated for in our society that um, people are, are questioning whether or not there is um, whether or not having police is morally justifiable or whether not having police is morally justifiable is it is is there any uh, morality to um, self-defense when you may have to deal your aggressor a lethal blow uh, these are questions which for a long time were just sort of commonly agreed upon by pretty much everybody until recently there are huge sections of the population that believe that these things like self like the, the idea that you have the right to defend yourself to the point of using lethal force or the idea that we need police to protect our communities both the persons who live in them and the property and their property interests is rooted in notions of white supremacy and racism and, and so there's this push to sort of dismantle and, uh, you know, reorganize or get rid of entirely uh, institutions that Western civilization has had for a long time. And so we thought this would be a good opportunity to see where the Catholic Church weighs in in all this, because it's always been puzzling to me that we're sitting here having this discussion about how do we form a society, because we just don't know how to do it anymore, there's a this catechism of the Catholic Church here is like a blueprint for how the Catholic Church built Western civilization for 2000 years. And the hierarchy just doesn't have any. Well, the hierarchy will come in and defend Catholic teaching that is not controversial. Right. So they'll come out and they'll say uh, the Catholic Church reaffirms that racism is bad. 
so courageous. Oh, where in the world did you find the courage to, oh, that must have been hard. Uh, but when it comes to things that are controversial, that people are arguing about, and the Catholic Church has something to say on that, largely won't hear anything. So I thought, let's let the new evangelization start here, because I think we're going to have to start from scratch. And <clears throat> there was a, a lot of, there was a story recently about um, uh, an incident in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where an individual uh, killed two men, or did he kill three? I think he killed two and shot another one. Yeah, he killed two, shot one, correct? Yeah, he was being charged with murder, and he claimed self-defense and was acquitted. This sparked huge controversy, and uh, people divided up into their usual camps. And um, I'm going to tell you, I've been reading the catechism on this, and to a certain extent, both of these camps are wrong about a few things, I think. And I, I and so this is where it's important that we understand that um, the Republican Party is not the Catholic Church. Right? The Republican Party is a is a human institution. So you can vote Republican, and you can and and, and I'm not sure that you can vote Democrat because they have some positions that are contrary to our moral position. My point is, these institutions are human institutions, and they are fallible in their understanding of morality and, and justice and all these things. But the Catholic Church is not fallible. It's infallible. So that's where we go to find out what is truly good and what is not. Um, and so I thought this would be a good, uh, good episode for us to get into. However, and I was saying that there's a little bit of a difference between what we do in the law and what we do in the catechism. I can't tell you We'll go through what the Catholic Church says about, say, self-defense and the use of lethal force. I will not be able to use that to tell you how our Lord is going to judge Kyle Rittenhouse. That, that's just not within my capacity to do that. This is These precepts are to give you the information so that you can be informed about the morality of your decisions. If you want to look at this and say, okay, well, based on the catechism, did, did what Kyle Rittenhouse did, good or bad, I, that's not how this works. Um, this is just going to, I think, illustrate the, the teachings of the church. And then you need to, you know, look at, look at the whole situation and you can come to your own conclusion, but understand on things like this, our Lord is ultimately the judge. Well, and I, you know, and I don't think that the point of this episode, you know, like you were kind of alluding to here is for us to weigh in and say, you know, this is in the Rittenhouse case, this was right, this was wrong in the sense of was he guilty or not guilty. You know, the, this episode kind of uh, came up because of because of all this, but it's to inform of course, myself and yourself as well as we research this, but also to inform Catholics as, as well, or anybody listening, really, that what what is the best moral decision you can make in these type situations going forward? Because, you know, I, I know we want to talk about the common good and then how, and then talk about, you know, use of use of force, because those are tied together. How can we promote the common good of society as a Catholic church teaches us to do so absolutely absolutely this is you know one of the and i really do think that <laughs> the principal problem that we're facing here that um 
that that is is sort of really driving all this strife in our society is a lot of people have a really malformed conscience. You have to form your conscience. It's not something that you are just born and you automatically know. I mean, you do in a sense have the knowledge of good and evil written into your heart. That's the natural law. Right. But over time with, if you, um, if you indulge in sin and you do not foster the life of grace, you will lead yourself into believing that things that are objectively immoral and evil are actually good. And one need only look at the, I mean, the myriad of circumstances to see just how dastardly your deeds can become the whole while you think you're, you're doing the world a favor. Um, I, I, I know that everybody talks about Hitler and the Holocaust all the time, but Unfortunately, that's the one thing our, our society, we all still agree, is evil. So I like to use that. I mean, at least thank God we have that to use as a thing that we all agree is evil. But, you know, Adolf Hitler, he called what he was doing a solution. He's solving a problem, man. You know, I'm, I'm helping you out. I'm making the world a better place by getting rid of these people we all know is the real cause of the problem, you know. And you convince yourself of these things, and the next thing you know, you're you're committing six million people to death the whole time, believing that you're doing the world a favor. So you have to form your conscience. Well, and, and that's a that's a big thing in our society, I think. Well, you know, and, and going to forming your conscience, you know, we always talk about how when you build up the virtues, for instance, you have to, you know, you, you've talked about in a previous previous episode how you have to start small and work your way up. Well. The inverse works as well because, you know, you may know through, <clears throat> excuse me, through the natural law that, that God has implanted on our hearts or through, through some development as you grew up that certain things are wrong. But as you start tinkering in what is wrong, you may start out a little bit, but then you start searing over your heart and your conscience so that that, that, that little wrong isn't a big deal. So now you can take a step to a bigger wrong, so on and so forth, right? Just like the virtues, you know, if you take a step in the right direction, you can build upon that, right? You start small, yeah, you work me, big. It, me and the new girl at work, we're just friends. Exactly. We're just friends, see? You know, we just, yeah, we just pal around at work. No, no big deal. So, Oh, yeah, okay, so we go to lunch a few times. All right, so that's no big deal. And I mean, you see where this is going. Yeah, so so the inverse works. And, and in these situations, I'm often reminded of, of St. Paul when he writes to the Thessalonians, you know, he, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he talks about basically if you want to believe a lie or you want to believe something strong enough, God will send you strong delusions that you may believe what is false. Now, I know there's a lot of controversy around that verse, but, but it makes you think that you can't be obstinate against what you know to be right and expect to come out on the good end of it, you know? Yeah. And, and the, and the belief that you're always going to see evil as evil uh, it, it does not pay attention to the prayer that our Lord taught us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because the evil one, he doesn't, he doesn't show up as, you know, the, 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 the monster that uh, you instantly recognize him at. I mean, he shows up as this good looking boy. He is slick. I mean, you have no idea how slick that guy can be. So you gotta be, you gotta be sharp. 
mm-hmm. because evil is always going to be there to tempt you. Um, so that, that being said, I was thinking about how do we get into this thing of legitimate defense? Article 5 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church deals with the fifth commandment. And the very first sentence says, plainly, you shall not kill. Now, (laughs) there's obviously some nuance to that. And there are some even exceptions to that. Um, But here's the thing to remember, and I'll I'll read to the text here. Um, Killing is a sin. And even in situations in which you you are forced to do so it's still a terrible thing it, it, it the the very fact that it's even an, a thing that exists in our world is because of original sin so when you are in a situation where you may be forced to defend your life or the life of another innocent person by killing someone it is not an invitation and i've seen a lot of people with with memes about the, the, the people that uh, were, were, uh, were, were killed by Kyle Rittenhouse where, you know, they're making fun of these people or it's a, it's a joke or something like that. Um, you really ought to read your catechism because whether or not what they were doing at the time was moral or immoral, they still had a dignity that makes them ultimately judgeable only by Christ. So to to think it's funny that they got killed or to tell jokes about it, to tell jokes about people that die in wars and things like that, it's it's still an awful thing. And it's it, we must understand that the entire reason it exists is because of sin. So it's it's definitely no no joke, no laughing matter. Um and in fact it it the catechism says uh, quite plainly um, in, 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 in number 2259, in the account of Abel's murder by his brother Cain, scripture reveals the presence of anger and envy in man, consequences of original sin from the beginning of human history. Man has become the enemy of his fellow man. God declares the wickedness of this fratricide. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So, and, and you see a lot of, you know, people on the other side of this who, you know, are, are, are in order to get justice for what they think Kyle Rittenhouse did, they're going to kill other people and, and, and th- send death threats. And, and I'm just thinking, boy, we got to get back to the catechism. And I mean, soon, because <laughs> none of y'all are looking at this right. Well, let me, however you're coming out, but. Well, let me add, uh, if you go to 2261 of the catechism, it, it also goes on to say, um, scripture specifies a prohibition contained in the fifth commandment. Do not slay the innocent and the righteous, the deliberate murder of an innocent person is gravely contrary to the dignity of the human being, to the golden rule, and to the holiness of the Creator. The law forbidding it is universally valid. It obliges each and every one, always and everywhere. So, yes. Yeah, so, you know, somebody ought to tell the person who wrote that, don't be so rigid. Why, why so rigid? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, and, and sorry. And I was just, I, I kept on reading here. And in 2262, you know, it even says that 
you know, the Sermon on the Mount, it adds to the proscription of anger, hatred, and vengeance. So, you know, those those can really kind of kind of change the scene for you morally in a self-defense case, right? Um, because you know, I'd asked you the question earlier as we, we were talking today, you know, can you use uh, a lethal force on someone that is within the law of our country or state, but opposed to the teaching of the Catholic Church? Yeah, and my answer to that would be not if you care about your immortal soul. Because if you're, when you go before judgment, I, you know, you can't, you can't go to Christ and give him a law that's higher than him. Right. <laughs> that's just not going to work. You can't go to Christ and go, uh, actually, Jesus, under statute 2265, subsection paragraph D of the state of Wisconsin criminal code, he, he's not going to care about that. Your Honor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, 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 you know, I mean, um, I think you, what was it? Did, did you even mention earlier in my imagining this that, you know, you, you could even make the argument in some situations that as a Catholic, you would have a more a more obligation to possibly try to retreat or de-escalate the situation even more than what the law prescribes for, for your state or your country. And and I can't answer that with any authority because, the, the, believe it or not, and I... Uh, the um, the catechism doesn't have anything to say about a legal do about a duty to retreat, yeah. or or when you can know that you are now in the situation that um, lethal force is is authorized. It it really doesn't specify that. Um, I think because for the purposes of the catechism, Christ is going to judge your heart, and so essentially it deals with where you in fear that you were about to be killed or undergo serious bodily injury. Yeah. And only, and only Christ can judge that. Um, or did and, you and use so, that, Or did you use that as a cover? Because as here in paragraph 2262, you were, you were angry, hated, or had a vengeful attitude toward that person. And like you said, only, only Christ can rightly judge that. Exactly. Um, so in, in, in 2263, there is, this, there is a series of paragraphs that deal with legitimate defense. I just want to read through them real quick. The legitimate defense of persons and societies is not an exception to the prohibition against the murder of the innocent that constitutes intentional killing. The act of self-defense can have a double effect, the preservation of one's own life and the killing of the aggressor. The one is intended, the other is not. Love towards oneself remains a fundamental principle of morality. Therefore, it is legitimate to insist on respect for one's own right to life. Someone who defends his life is not guilty of murder, even if he is forced to deal his aggressor a lethal blow. Um, and then there's a, a quote here from St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa. If a man in self-defense uses more than necessary violence, it will be unlawful. Whereas if he repels force with moderation, his defense will be lawful. Nor is it necessary for salvation that a man omit the act of moderate self-defense to avoid killing the other man, since one is bound to take more care of one's own life than another's. Legitimate defense can not only be a right, but a grave duty for one who is responsible for the lives of others. Now notice it, it does not say here only civil authorities, because if you're a, if you're a parent or a husband, or you're responsible for the lives of others. And... It is, uh, you really need to think about whether it's just that 
your children are orphans and your wife is a widow because you didn't want to deal your aggressor a lethal blow. Well, and by um, and by defending your wife, your children, or even some stranger on the street, if if you're caught in that unfortunate situation that you do have to use lethal force, you know, you're also promoting the common good as well. Right. And it even says here, it's not only a right, but a grave duty, meaning if you should do it and you don't, you're on the hook. Um, it goes on to say the defense of the common good requires that an unjust aggressor be rendered unable to cause harm. For this reason, those who legitimately hold authority also have the right to use arms to repel aggressors against the civil community entrusted to their responsibility. And that's all it says about arms. It does not go into um, uh, a prohibition against citizens defending themselves with arms, but it does say that the civil authorities have the right to use arms to repel aggressors against the civil community and just to their responsibility. And indeed, they have the duty to do so. So when you retreat the police to quote unquote, let them loot, uh, your polls may go up depending on where you live, but you have betrayed your duty as someone who is responsible for the safety and well-being of the common good. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, that's clear. Um, but anyway, so the, it, it goes on to say, and this is a very important part here, the efforts of the state to curb the spread of behavior harmful to people's rights and to the basic rules of civil society correspond to the requirement of safeguarding the common good. Legitimate public authority has the right and the duty to inflict punishment proportionate to the gravity of the offense. Punishment has the primary aim of redressing the disorder introduced by the offense when it is willingly accepted by the guilty party. It assumes the value of expiation. Punishment then, in addition to defending public order and protecting people's safety, has a medicinal purpose. As far as possible, it must contribute to the correction of the guilty party. So, uh, what I got from this is the idea that you have the right to defend yourself, uh, the idea that the state has to put people who violate the rules of society in some type of pen, uh, uh, penitentiary system, depending on the gravity of their offense. These things are not rooted in white supremacy. These things are rooted in a blueprint for Western civilization that is older even than white people, even than Europe. And a virtue okay? called justice. <laughs> a virtue called justice. And despite what certain people will tell you, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, justice is only possible when the common good is being promoted. You cannot burn the town down in the name of justice. No justice is possible where there is no society. And, there and in order to, to have a society, according to the Catechism, Society is a, a, it's, it's, it's a thing where I have rights and duties. My rights are that you respect my rights. My duty is to respect yours. Well, and If you don't have that, you can't have justice at all. Well, St. Thomas, like you <clears throat> read, mentions that the, <clears throat> excuse me, that the, that the act has to be in proportion. So like if somebody steals my cell phone sitting on the table, is it? Is it proportionate for me to go? Ahead, <clears throat> excuse me again. For me to go ahead and shoot them? No, of course not. 
So it, it kind of goes with all the looting and protesting right now in an unfortunate situation where man is shot by, you know, shot by a cop <clears throat> on a, on a being pulled over, whatever the situation may be. Is it proportionate for you and your, your friends to get out there and burn down a whole city? It's, and steal from them and violate their private property rights. And even in some cases, have you seen in some of these horrible videos and news news articles that have come out about people even dying, you know, that were completely innocent parties? I mean, I mean that is not proportionate, and it goes against everything the Catholic Church teaches. And uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, there, there is a, especially when, uh, you know, you haven't you haven't had an opportunity. The, the the system has not had an opportunity to to deal with this in the way we've all agreed that we're going to deal with this. Because the idea that we'll ever get to a place where an unlawful killing will never happen that's called the second coming, and it's not going to happen before that. To believe otherwise is in error and fundamentally unreconcilable with the theology promoted and taught by the 2,000-year-old deposit of faith that we've been given by Christ. It's, it's not reconcilable with that. So what we, what we can do, however, is ensure that when people do break these rules, when they do violate the public order and they do violate the rights of other people, we have a system in place that will afford them an opportunity to defend themselves. Uh, they will face a jury of their peers. They will be tried fairly, as fairly as we can. Because again, we're not Christ. I can't give you the perfect judgment. That'll happen at the end of time. But to the best of our ability, we want to give you a fair trial, an opportunity to defend and explain your, yourself. And then you know, we'll, depending on what the jury decides, we'll, we go from there. If you don't even give that a chance, you have no, you certainly have no right to, uh, to do what was done in many places this summer. And unfortunately what continues in a lot of cities today. And, you know, um, and, and I know the counter to that would be, you know, that these are quote unquote grassroots organizations and associations of people coming to protest and try to promote the, you know, better laws or, you know, fairness and equality and so on and so forth. And and, and as we read in Rerum Navarum, the, the Catholic Church is not opposed to association to the free associations of people to better their status in life, if especially if they're under unideal conditions, right? But nowhere mm -hmm. do you have the right to violate people's private property rights, which Rerum Navarum also says because it says private property rights are natural rights or, or, you know, as part of the natural law that we have a right to private property. And by violating that, whether you feel you're right or wrong or not, can be argued that it, you know, I, I should say argued, it, it is sinful to, to destroy somebody's private property. Yeah. I mean that now, again, just like with the, with the prohibition against human life, there are uh, extreme situations in which it might be uh, morally licit to to uh, take the property of another person. For example, right. uh, there's been a terrible hurricane. There's no power. There's no um, you, you can't go to the even if you went to the store, 
there's there's no power in the store you can't buy anything and you just need you need some food and there's no other means by which to get food right because if you if there's a if there's a uh, a red cross station somewhere you got to go there you can't just say well the power's out i'm going to go loot <laughs> but let's say there's no red cross station there's no other means by which you can obtain food or basic necessities not louis vuitton bags basic necessities then in that situation it might be morally licit for you to deprive uh the store of their property uh, but even but even in those cases when things are back up to normal you would be expected to make restitution for what you for what you've taken right, right. Um, and the catechism so it, even speaks to to what you're talking about as well i don't remember the paragraph but yeah yeah um well i what you were just talking about with, with social justice, read, read 1929, Catechism of the Catholic Church. Social justice can only be obtained. It can be obtained only in respecting the transcendent dignity of man. The person represents the ultimate end of society, which is ordained in him. So when you, when you riot, when you loot, when you burn, because you have decided that there are group that there are groups of people in society that are collectively responsible for everything that's wrong in society and those people should not be afforded the same rights as, and privileges as everybody else in society if that's what you believe then brother you don't know why nazism is wrong in the first place because that's what they believed they had a theory about how this one group of people we're really responsible for all the bad things that ever happened in the world. And so, you know, if war were to break out, we would have to deproperty these people because, you know, they start all the wars. I mean, we, we know that, <laughs> right? And they, they had their little theory that uh, because I feel aggrieved about history, I now have the right to deproperty and, and kill whole groups of people that because I have decided that they're responsible. That's what's wrong with Nazism. And, I, and, and if, and if you're going to do that to another group of people, you're not better than the Nazis. No, no, not at all. And, and you know, <clears throat> going back to the, I was looking for it earlier and I couldn't find it when I was, when I was speaking, but, you know, going back to the, the looting and rioting, trying to, in their minds, promote change, or, or at least in their language, are trying to promote change, right? <clears throat> The catechism says in our in paragraph 2243 it gives you five reasons that that armed resistance to oppression by a political authority is legitimate otherwise if you don't meet these five conditions um it, it says all the following conditions all five conditions must be met otherwise your resi your armed resistance to the oppression by political authorities is not legitimate one there is certain grave and prolonged violation of fundamental rights two all other means of redress have been exhausted three such resistance will not provoke worse disorders four there is well-founded hope of success and five it is impossible it is impossible reasonably to foresee any better solution and those, well, those are pretty pretty serious Pretty serious uh, prohibitions, I would think. And and with what we saw going on, and I know looting isn't necessarily armed resistance, but one, it, it will eventually lead to that if if left to its 
you know, natural course. Rioting and, and looting will eventually lead to to armed resistance, right? Um, yep. So I don't see when I read these five, I, I can see the argument for maybe one or two, but several of the others, you're not even close in justifying these acts according to the catechism. And the catechism also said... You don't just have to meet one or two. You have to meet all five. So if you've got four out of the five, you are still not in legitimate status to to have an armed resistance against your political authorities. And the and and a lot of this, I think, is is done because we don't have a, a realistic expectation about the type of justice we are able to achieve in our fallen human nature. I, I look to uh, paragraph nineteen thirty one. Respect for the human person proceeds by way of respect for the principle that everyone should look upon his neighbor without any exception as another self, above all bearing in mind his life and the means necessary for living it with dignity. No legislation could by itself do away with the fears, prejudices, and attitudes of pride and selfishness which obstruct the establishment of truly fraternal societies. Such behavior will cease only through the charity that finds in every man a neighbor, a brother." Christ is the only way out. You, you, you can't, and this is where I kind of uh, wanted to talk to the, the Republicans out there who were thinking, well, we just vote Republican. They'll solve all this stuff. Uh, now, there are, there are policies that you can initiate which, will, which are for the betterment of society and public order. That's no question. Um, but it, it, it's sort of like the issue with guns. The NRA believes one thing that I think is an error. It is that, well, if the more guns, the, the, the broader the access to gun rights, the more polite our society will be. Like the, the two just sort of go hand in hand. And I thought, well, no, because if that were the case, then Christ would have just armed everybody instead of died on a cross for our sins. Grace cures sin. I mean, it, now, I do, I do believe that in, in the individual right to bear arms, that is a part of our legal tradition and our, our, um, our, 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 our common values that we, we had in this country since its foundation, even before that. But I do not believe that that in and of itself is sufficient to create a, a civil society. We are going to have to start imagining each other not as enemies and not as people who quote unquote need to be taken care of or whatever that, you know, because you hear all the time, um, well, if I was out there in Kenosha, I'd just start capping people, man. I'd, I'd start capping looters. I'd start shooting this and shooting that. And they, you talk, they talk about this stuff like, like that's the preferred outcome sometimes almost. Well, and, I, and, I, and even people with ill-informed uh, uh, consciences are still going to, the majority of people are still going to suffer mentally, even if, even if they take a life in a legitimate situation. So, you know, so I think a lot of times when people say, oh, I'd be, you know, shooting these people. I wouldn't let these rioters in. I would do that. I, I highly doubt that because most of us, like I said, even if your conscience is not properly formed or geared toward toward the infinite, the average person is not going to be able 
to to just shoot somebody and it not bother them you know it's it's kind of like you, you're kind of talking about something you don't really you haven't really thought through you know yeah no it's it's incredibly traumatic and in fact jason you shared uh, a story with me here recently that came out of texas another another incident where somebody is claiming self-defense and Full disclosure, just based on what I know about that case, which is not a lot, but I did watch the video, uh, I do not think it meets either the, our, our religious definition of justified self-defense or the legal definition, but we'll, we'll let the facts come out and you know, there's always more to a case than what you know initially. Yeah. Um, but just based on what I've seen, it, does not, it doesn't look like it meets the case. And no, in, in this video... You, you, you watch a guy get killed. And I got to tell you. Over a custody dispute. It, 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 it bothered me. I mean, it, it, it is disturbing to see something like that. And you can only imagine what it's like to be there and to see it and to, to have it happen at your hand. People who even legitimately use uh, police officers who legitimately have to uh, use their service weapon in the line of duty and end up killing somebody. They go to therapy for a long time. They have post-traumatic stress disorder. They have nightmares. They have, um, this is something like, like the catechism says, it's written into your heart that this is not a good thing to have to happen. Even in situations where you were forced to do it, you had no choice. It's still, um, it ought to give us all a moment to reflect on the gravity of sin because death is the punishment for sin. And it's a horrible punishment. I mean, it's a horrible punishment. Well, in that, in that case, we also, as, and this is kind of why I asked you that, why I sent you that question earlier, you know, about, you know, do you think that the, that the law will, always line up with what the with the what the church teaches here and the, the reason i ask is i was thinking i don't think the church would 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 you know e even if this guy gets off on self-defense let's just say because i was reading about it quite a bit last night and it's there, there's the, even among attorneys there's it's kind of torn from the ones i was reading you know it's kind of like 50 50 right but hmm. the shooter itself whether or not he was on his property or not, as speaking strictly from a Catholic, from a Christian perspective, I don't think that he had any right to escalate the situation by bringing the threat of violence of a gun out on there. Because in my mind, he, you know, in, in Texas, are we allowed to do that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, we, we can carry a gun on our property, whether somebody else likes it or not, whether they feel threatened or not, you know, as long as we're not brandishing and threatening to you know necessarily kill them i guess but 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 i don't think that guy was morally right in escalating the situation you know that situation at the level that it was now granted i don't think either men really acted all that smart in the situation but i think that the moral that 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 the lack in morality was in the in the shooter himself because he is the one that escalated the situation to a point that it did not need to be. So important to to form your conscience. I mean, I can't, and, and that's the reason why is because if if you think that your passions are just going to lead you to a, a a cool headed result in the moment of truth, uh, no, <laughs> your passions are the thing. Let me tell you something. Uh, we have all known that person who 
we have thought, man, that's now that's a guy I, I swear, if I had to shoot that guy, it probably wouldn't bother me. I thought people right? probably think there's, of there's that, people that all the time. <laughs> yeah, there's people we don't. There's people we don't like, right? There's people we don't like, and when we have to deal with those people, uh, it is so important that we have the the right moral dispositions, and the and we are acting on the grace that is given to us, so that we will we will know. You know, I'm going to go inside. I'm just going to go inside and close the door. I've I've asked you to leave. I'm going to call the police now. If you're still here when the police get here, you're going to be arrested. Because if I stay out here with you anymore, I'm going to, com- this has become a near occasion to sin. I am not going to put my immortal soul at hazard over this anymore. I care about my grace too much. And you go inside. I've had to do that. Well, ne- um, well neither one of them, though, in, in all honesty, had control of their passions. Because the one that went right. in with the gun, you know, prideful because you know he didn't leave how dare him not listen to me you know what i'm gonna come out and threaten him with with lethal force to leave and the other guy of course as soon as he saw the gun i mean he just exploded he just erupted in anger right and made a very terrible decision that ultimately cost him his life but neither one really had control of their passion in that situation and 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 when you're dealing with custody issues i see it all the time uh that's Believe it or not, you, uh, divorce lawyers get shot more than any other group of lawyers, and it's all you know, just because when it comes to custody issues, the breakup of a family, things like that, um, it, it you know, just like with with killing, families break up because we live in a world, we live in a fallen human nature, and so it's it, it's very rare that people celebrate the breaking up of their family or, the, or things like that. It's just not a, it's not a thing that makes people happy. It, well, it, well, you know, people are always upset about things like that. So seeing things like, like that really, I, I won't say his name on the podcast. Cause I don't know if he wants it out there or not, but you know, it makes me more appreciative. We have in our troops of St. George group at uh, Regina Chaley that my, me and my son are in, we have a professor at the university of St. Thomas who will always at each meeting, give them the proverbial, minute right and Mm -hmm. last two three meetings he's been talking about passions and controlling your passions and what they can you know the the bad that they can lead to and you know seeing something like that you know the situation in lubbock and what we're talking about man i I tell you what if he's listening to this i appreciate those conversations even more now oh for sure oh absolutely and um and 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 this goes for for everybody in 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 the written house situation as well, and and in the um, the guy in Georgia who I cannot remember his name, the oh, the, the Aubrey, the, the three Is men, Aubrey, right, Aubrey, yeah. Aubrey. Um, you know, in that situation, it appears to me again, I I know what I know about the case. I don't know everything about the case. The jury in these cases always sees more than we do. They always see more evidence than. The general public, but what it appeared to me was this this individual Aubrey was out for a jog. He saw a house that's under construction and decided to go inside and look and see what they were building. I've done that a million times. My, me and my dad have done that together when they're building a house. I'll go in me there. Me and my and, kids did that last year on the new section behind my neighborhood. They were building. Yeah, 
I mean, I, is it trespassing? I mean, maybe. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. What am I going to steal in there? Bricks? There's nothing. It's an empty house. Well, the contract. I, I know in our situation, the contractors and stuff have seen us doing it. Nobody, nobody ever really says so, that. You know, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. The, these, these three individuals who live in the neighborhood see this guy, and they their claim is, well, we're legitimately concerned about people stealing from the job sites. Okay, I'll, I'll take that as a, I'll, I'll take your word for that. Um, call the police. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing about whatever he's doing in there that it presents an immediate and, and serious threat to the safety of the community at that moment. Mm-hmm. Is he breaking the law? I don't, I doubt it, but it doesn't look like it to me. But okay, you claim he is. Well, we'll let the judge and jury and that whole process decide that. For you to then you know, arm up like a posse and go and chase this guy down as he's trying to run away and then say, well, he, he grabbed my gun. Well, of course he did. He thought you were trying to kill him. He has one of those rights of self-defense too. Right. Yeah. And, and if, if he's thinking the way, the only way I'm going to survive is by getting the gun away from this guy. Yeah. That's, that's, that's reasonable. And he, that to me, um, you know, again, people, life is not a dirty, hairy movie. You know, real life is real life. And there seems to be a, 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 a real lack of experience. People just don't know. Don't go around testing random people you don't know. I learned that now, I guess, when I was like eight years old on the playground. But apparently there's a whole generation of Americans who didn't learn. You really shouldn't go up and just test random people because you never know who you're going to mess with. Mark, that is exactly why I say this. And people look at me weird sometimes when I say it. But I actually think it is very healthy for young boys to have the schoolyard fights that we that even I had when I was a kid or even years ago where nobody really made a big deal of it because as a young boy it teaches you these these lessons in life yeah and yeah and you know I I I think it's healthy for young boy now does that mean I want boys just uh, boxing every single day at the playground no but but there is a healthy aspect of that in my opinion I, I know that's controversial to a lot of people and I get a lot of weird looks when I tell people that, but I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. I think there is one of the problems that I see with the way people of, of this generation who is doing all the rioting and the looting and things like that. They, um, I, I they seem to not have a very good understanding of the basics of how the world around them works they don't know they're they're out here trying to dismantle and disrupt and tear down institutions they don't understand very well they don't understand the history of policing they don't know the history of of the, of the country they don't really understand how taxes work <laughs> but they've got very strong opinions on them and trying to trying to educate people of this lot is is but at this point impossible because they're convinced they know everything so they don't need to learn anything. Um, and I'm kind of one of these people who, you know, don't I agree with our Lord don't don't cast pearls before the swine. Eventually, at some point, if they're not willing to learn anything, then 
you really can't have any constructive dialogue with them at all. And here's the deal. I'm talking about myself here too. I don't know everything. I'm always open to new information and learning new things and, and, and understanding new things about the world I live in because that's how you progress and grow. Um, well, but the, the, and, and, and these, and these young guys today that are writing and looting and stuff, I think in many cases that they're angry about stuff that they don't even know what they're angry about, or they, they, they think they know something that they really don't. So they're angry about it, even though they don't understand the situation. Right. Um, and, and I wanted to say this earlier, uh, when you were talking about, <clears throat> you know, how, how people have this idea of how the world is supposed to work. It's supposed to be basically perfect. You know, this isn't supposed to happen. I'm supposed to be, you know, treated well in every situation. And when I'm not, it's, it's, it's a big ordeal, right? It's kind of like, it, it kind of reminds me of the, of the story about, you know, sometimes when you hear, you hear these stories about married couples that at some point in their marriage, they had issues. And sometimes it, it, it is attributed to that either the, 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 the husband or the wife may have, had expectations that were not realistic, right, in their marriage. And they didn't realize that because they, they had built these things up in their head of how things are supposed to be, but the reality is totally different, right? Right. You know, I, I back, uh, what, how, how long has it been on the traditional calendar since the Feast of Christ the King? What, three, four weeks? However long That sounds about right. However long it's been. But I had, uh, I had read Quas Primas from Pope Pius the 11th. Uh, when he when he wrote that and and you know our society today tries to separate you know church and state or saying that you know like you'll have President Biden saying you know what I do in my private life is different than my public life right and mm -hmm. if 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 you'll grant me here I want to read three quotes from that article or from that encyclical that really stood out to me that that, that spoke to the Joe Biden situation, but I think also speaks to these expectations that people have, but they don't have a solid foundation or basis. So okay. he's, he writes in here in paragraph one, and we remember saying that these manifold evils in the world were due to the fact that the majority of men had thrust Jesus Christ and his holy law out of their lives, that these had no place in either the private affairs or in politics. Going to paragraph 18, with God and Jesus Christ, we said, excluded from political life with authority derived not from God, but from man, the very basis of that authority has been taken away because the chief reason of the distinction between ruler and subject has been eliminated. The result is that human society is tottering to its fall because it has no longer a secure and solid foundation. And then lastly, going to paragraph 19. When once men recognize both in private and in public life that Christ is king, society will at last receive the great blessing of real liberty, well-ordered discipline, peace, and harmony. And, hmm. I, you know, as you, were, wow. as you were speaking of that earlier. This, and when this was that written? About, this was, uh, uh, this was Quas, uh, am I saying it right? Quas Primus from Pope Pius XI. I, I don't remember what wow. year it was. But, um, That's prophetic. But yeah, that's prophetic. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it speaks to our current uh, Catholic politicians on, you know, I don't want to say Democratic Party because I, I have plenty of qualms with the Republican Party as well. 
But, you know, but it, it seems to be the majority of our Catholic politicians on the Democratic side try to separate these two things. And then again, we as a society are trying to push away further and further from the infinite saying, oh, we've got these problems. See, that's a pro that's one of the problems with modernism and, uh, you know, stuff like that. As they try to say, as we advance in science and technology, we are in control. We are God. So we try to push all that away. And yet we keep we keep following further and further into into darkness. Yeah, the, well, the modernists believe that, you know, human beings, because of our technology and our advances and everything, and, and basically because of material things, we are so fundamentally advanced now, we're like a different species of animal than, than anything that came before us. So the, the, the basic needs, uh, psychological, material, spiritual, whatever, of, of ancient people just don't apply to us anymore. We're, we see we've, we've evolved beyond those things. And if, if you ever heard anything more narcissistic, <laughs> more conceited, uh, I mean, A, it isn't true. I've, I've seen no evidence that, um, you know, for, for example, one of the things we were sure of is that a post-religious world would be more rational and peaceful than a religious world. Well, uh, I think we've seen enough evidence that that wasn't true. Nope. We, we now know that that was a false prediction. Um, well, yeah. Morals, you know, when it comes to, because we're thinking about what, what, what Joe Biden says about there's a difference between my private views and what I advocate for publicly. His theory is, is that the United States of America is a big country. There are people of all kinds of religious uh, backgrounds. And so it's um, not right or not proper to impose Catholic morality on a nation of, of such diverse believers, especially that believes in the separation of church and state. Here's the problem with that theory, okay? The difference between, the Catholic church uh, is, is infallible on two areas, faith and morals, okay? Faith are the, are the articles of belief some of which reason can get us there all on their own, but for the most part is my divine revelation, and it's a gift of the Holy Ghost. So you can't really impose faith publicly because you don't have the, the charism to, to, by which to do that, right? The, the Holy Ghost has that, that, that charism. Morals, on the other hand, are a set of principles that by definition apply to everyone in all places at all times. Because if you're not going to impose morals, then I don't know if politics is really the game for you because that's kind of all they do. Uh, we have laws against things like murder. Why? Well, because we believe that human beings have inherent dignity. Okay, where'd we get that idea from? From the incarnation of Christ. That's where it comes from. Well, and even further back than that, that God, that God created us in his image and likeness. So we have a special dignity that gives us special rights. And God, and God also said, you know, that Cain's blood was calling up to him for, you know, what was it for vengeance or something like that, but it was calling up to him. So uh, if you're not, if you're not ready to impose any morals that find their root in a religious teaching of some kind, then you can't impose any morals at all, even the moral that you believe 
everyone ought to be treated equally and not singled out by their race. Because that moral comes from the Christian belief that we're that Christ, that Christ elevates all human nature without exception. And in fact, the, the, the early Romans held that slaves were property. And it was the, um, it was the Catholic Church in early Christianity that regarded that, that you know, the slaves could get married, that they could be ordained as priests. And it's been argued by many scholars and theologians that this difference in legal status is in the long term undermined the whole position of the institution of slavery. So if you're against slavery, if you think slavery is a bad thing, the only reason you think that is because Christianity implanted an idea in, in, in Western civilization that had never been there before. And that idea, yeah, maybe it took a, a couple of hundred years for it to fully develop into what we now understand. But that comes from the Christians. And if you don't want to impose Christian morality on people, then you don't have any business being against slavery. Well, quite frankly, <laughs> here's the scary you know, here's the scary thing about all that is you know a, a couple things. One, you know, going back to what you said earlier about our ancestors, you know, we think we're so much better than our ancestors, you know, because we're, you know, they did this and we don't do that, you know, or whatever. Well, for one, most of us, most people today can't even grow their own food or butcher their own cow, you know. Uh, you know, basic necessities. So I don't know how you're claiming we're much better, but you know, as far as skill level and stuff like that. But anyway, the the scary good thing, point. I mean, the, the 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 scary thing to me though is the fact that you know what you're talking about. We're we're saying we can make all these right decisions as far as you know slavery and racism and stuff like that, absent of Christian morals, right? Right. But we're not as advanced as we think we are and as enlightened as we think we are as a society. We're really not because we're, we're somehow slipping back into segregation in college campuses. We're somehow slipping back and saying, you know, it's like reverse now. It's, you know, there are groups of people now that are saying, it's this group of people that's that's causing all the problems. It's white supremacy that's causing all the problems. So somehow, we, we've gone in reverse. I should I say somehow, but it it goes to what you're saying. It's because we lack these Christian morals in our governance that we may have left one part or one side of the racism and segregation spectrum and blaming people but guess what that's just flipping to another side it's still there it's just being promoted by a different side of the aisle now or not aisle but a different group you know and it's kind of yeah. like <laughs> we're in the same boat and you know I, um in terms of the uh the the idea that uh we live in a post-christian society and that and that 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 somehow has manifested into um, greater equality and greater um, equality is not all it's cracked up to be in every single circumstance. I mean, it is true that human beings have equal dignity. And that, by the way, is an, is an idea that did not exist anywhere in the world before the Christians. I mean, that is true. Even the Jews... Okay, 
did not believe that all human that that every human being on earth was equal. Oh. That's why they were the chosen people. Uh, yeah, that's not you know, even what, debatable. It, <laughs> it, it, it was not the case that that is that everybody believed that everybody was equal, and then the Christians came around and taught that everybody were unequal. That is not that is not factually not correct. And I can I contend that this obsession with white supremacy and calling everything white supremacy and everything is the result of white supremacy is because we don't allow the word sin anymore and we need a substitute word for it. And that's what it is. Because essentially everything that they blame, if you, if you were to replace everything they talk about is the fault of white supremacy, replace that, those words white supremacy with the word sin and they are exemplary Catholic theologians. Exemplary. Because sin is the, is the cause of everything. It really is. It is the, it is, it is the problem with the world. Well, well, Mark, don't you know white supremacy is a sin and is the pinnacle of all sins? Yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't know how that's possible. I mean, unless people just weren't sinning before, because we know from we know from history that we know from the Bible that people were sinning in ancient Israel before I think they even knew where Europe was. Mm-hmm. Were they were they they must have been some of those Jewish white supremacists we keep hearing about. Well, I, I, I remember God destroying the world because of sin at one point, but I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, John Chrysostom, um, and now he lived during the three hundreds. He called slavery the fruit of covetousness, of degradation, of savagery, the fruit of sin, and of human rebellion against our true Father. Mm. Now. The problem with this is, in 340 AD, this is before modern industry, and it is not entirely clear what these Christians plan to replace slavery with, because there weren't a whole lot of ways to produce a lot of goods for society without forcing people to work for free. Um, it just didn't exist back in those days. And so the idea that they were able to come up with this... now. Because Marx would say, well, the reason people um, did away with slavery is not out of any moral sense of right or wrong, but because the means of production necessitated different modalities of the production of goods. Everything's just material. Well, that's not true. It can't be. If that's the case, then why is John Chrysostom describing slavery as the fruit of covetousness, of degradation, of savagery, the fruit of sin and of human rebellion against our true father? These are ideas that, and, you know, and that, that was one of the other things I want to talk about was, I think there are a lot of people who are involved in this, this movement to blame everything on white supremacy and to not believe in any of society's institutions who are really just haven't been exposed to these ideas. And this is our, our chance for a new evangelization. There are some people who are not going to be open to this message. Um, and that's, don't, don't cast pearls before the swine, but to the people who are open to this, we need to be able to present this information because we're going to have to recatechize the West and we're going to have to start from scratch. This is the new evangelization. And I'm sorry to tell you, the hierarchy isn't going to help us out in this. The hierarchy believes that our, the, the biggest threat to our existence is global warming. Well, you, you can't look after the environment if you literally can't form a society first. 
And right now, we can't form a society because we literally do not have an agreement amongst people as to the basics of what is right and what is wrong. Until you solve that, I don't know how, what you're going to do about the greenhouse gases. I really don't. Well, let me uh, let, let me get your opinion on something. I'm kind of off topic here. But as far as the climate change that Pope Francis and, and all our world leaders talk about, but I'm not as much worried about the world leaders for this for this point, doesn't it show a lack of trust in God's providence and in God's might to to preserve humans, you know, because it seems like we're saying, oh, we're going to be in control. Now, that's not to say that within reason we need to treat the world with respect. We don't need to be littering and polluting and doing all these things to an excess beyond the common good, right? You know, what we're talking about. But it seems like mm-hmm. climate change and and all that and, and the changes that they want to make and Pope Francis uh, is supporting really goes back to modernism, what we talked about earlier, modernism and in the sense that we're in control, we're not worried about what God is doing or we don't have enough faith in him to actually preserve us if that is his will. Yeah, I might, that might be it. It, it seems... I can't. I can't tell what the. I, I understand why why world leaders are interested in yeah. in in climate change and in the policies about that. There's debates about things like that. That's Absolutely. kind of their their sphere of influence. Other than saying that Christians should be good steward of the planet, I don't really understand what the Catholic Church thinks it can contribute to this discussion. I mean, it, it's it does not have. Uh, the the political apparatus or authority, quite frankly, to determine what is or is not good policy for achieving these aims. Now, the Catholic Church can tell you um, we need to uh, we need to foster policies that are good for the development of the human person. It cannot tell you what those policies exactly should be, or you know, which ones you're allowed to vote for and which ones you're not. And that is just not, the Catholic Church just has no authority to do that. And I I get very irritated when the Catholic Church tries to be a political organization because it is not good at it. It it does not have the authority to do that. Christ did not bestow it with, uh, well, he, there's the institutional church, which has political authority over, the lands that it sits on, like the Vatican City, or before that, the Papal States. But that is not what Christ endowed, that is not a charism with which Christ endowed the church. And when you try to do that, you are way beyond your competency. I do not like when the, the uh, that's like when the USCCB comes out with its opinions on gun control. Now, it wouldn't matter to me if they were coming out with positions for gun control or against gun control. You can say people need to foster respect for human life. It is beyond the Catholic Church's competency to to tell us uh, that we which political positions we ought to vote for to achieve those aims. And I really hate when they do that. But I. Uh, I mean, I guess I understand that Francis's concern is that people need to show respect towards the planet Earth and 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 take care and take care of the the creation that God has bestowed 
us to, to take care of it for. I mean, he, he, that he gave to us to manage. But I got to tell you, we're not going to be able to do that if we literally can't tell, universally speaking, that ramming your SUV into a Christmas parade is a bad thing. Oh. If we cannot, as a country, all agree that that is morally illicit, then I don't, I don't know what you can really do about the greenhouse gases. The good news is there'll be none of us left alive to experience any of the global warming. So, I mean, that's one way to solve it. We could all wipe each other out and then there'd be no more human-caused climate change. Because if we can't solve that problem, we literally, according to the catechism, cannot form a civilization because we cannot agree on what the common good is. Well, we don't know enough about what's right and what's wrong. And I keep waiting for the Catholic Church, which has the answer, to chime in to this discussion. But we're having a synod on synodality, so I guess we just can't be bothered with that right now. Well, well yeah, I, I just asked because I, I am... I, I am no one to speak on anyone's faith, of course. God, God alone is judge on that. But personally, with with the 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 importance that Pope Francis has put on this climate change initiatives, with with the way he talks about it and all that, I, I expect, like you said, I expect my world leaders to go this route. But I, ex I the way I feel is I expect the Holy Father to have more faith than he seems to project when he does this. I, I may you know I may be completely off base on that, but that's just my personal personal feeling I get when when I hear him speak about the, these issues as far as climate change, you know? I mean, like you said, you know, the the church really doesn't have a right. It's out of its competency to to, you know, with gun control and whatnot to do those things. I, I will add, though, unless it is, it comes, of course, to faith and morals. Because I, I can just hear somebody saying, well, what about abortion? Well, that's a completely different topic there. You know, that's... <laughs> it, it is, because here's the deal. Uh, with, with And I use the gun control argument as an example. When you're having a debate with someone about gun control, and I'm giving, I'm giving the opposite side the benefit of the doubt here, you're essentially both in agreement that... Um, that gun violence is something that we would like to curb, something that we would not like to increase, but something that we would like to see decrease. And essentially what we're involved in is a disagreement about the best way to go about to that, it, right? Yes. So it's, it's not like, now, if I were to uh, start an organization uh, that's pro mass shooter because I want to, uh, I want to foster mass shootings. I think they're a good thing. And I think we need to increase them and, and, and more access should be given to shooters who want to shoot up the school. Uh, yeah, I think the Catholic Church should deny me communion because what I'm advocating is, is not a, a, a policy difference. I'm advocating against an, a moral absolute that the church teaches is wrong. And I'm, I'm in public sin on that issue. Yeah, and, and and there's a difference, of course, and, and I said it in a previous episode. There's were you know I I know the argument is communion is for the sick or is for for whatever they say. Yes, I am a sinner. I struggle daily. I I am far from perfect and far from worthy to even receive Jesus Christ, right? But Jesus Christ has given us has given us this great gift. Of his body, but of his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. 
The difference is in denying certain people is are they are they persisting in that sin or are they trying to avoid it yet still fell? There's there's a difference in the two. And nobody seems to ever make that distinction. Oh, well, you're a sinner too. Yes, but I am trying not to do these sins. Person B over here is persisting in that sin. There, I, I don't know why that never comes up in these political discourses. Yeah, I, there's a difference between being fallen, being weak, and succumbing to that which you know is evil, and then repenting, going to confession, receiving the sacraments, receiving the sanctifying grace, and getting getting back to the life of grace, and fundamentally denying that what is evil is actually evil. Yeah, uh, that's a very different situation. Essentially, the problem here is is that um, this this debate over communion and who's a good Catholic and who isn't is just the fruit of a society that is overly obsessed with self-identification instead of objective identifications. So, uh, you know, whether I'm a Catholic or not really all depends on my definition of Catholicism, my, my personal independent definitions of Catholicism. And the way I define Catholicism, I am a good Catholic, so I should keep going to communion. And there is no emphasis that needs to be placed on how the Catholic Church defines my Catholicism because the only thing that matters is me. Uh, it doesn't matter if I am objectively a biological male. If I decide that I'm a biological female, you have to go along with it. Or you're, you're mean, you're a hater, you're, you're a bad person. Um, because truth, objective truth is an obstacle. An objective truth is, is, is something that gets in the way of, of progress. Lies are things that liberate us to chase the golden dream of paradise on earth. And we've gotten into this situation now where lies are good and the truth is bad. And that's why we're, that's why our society looks the way it does and why we can't all universally agree that however you feel about what Rittenhouse did or didn't do or the rightness or wrongness of that situation, because I'll agree it's controversial, uh, the guy who ran the SUV into the parade, we need to all be able to tell that that's objectively morally yes. evil or we cannot form a society. And call it that. Did, did, did you happen to see what the USCCB put out and then, and did, and then deleted from their Twitter? No. So there was a, I believe they deleted it unless they put it back up. But anyway, the other day they put, you know, they were praying for all the victims of the accident in Wakosha. And people were like, accident? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, the, this group of people is made up of such cowards that they can't even call a, a, a either politically or racial motivated murder of people what it is they they are so scared of making people mad or 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 not fitting in with their with their cronies that they they listed uh praying for all the victims of the wakosha accident it was not an accident uh, i i yeah because well and and i don't know if you know this uh, there was a priest who was killed in that situation at least that's what was initially reported i think and the I, diocese I think I of that, yeah the the archdiocese of milwaukee I looked on their website to see if I could find any information about this good priest, um, and and you know, 
there was a minute and a half statement from the bishop. Uh, we're we're we are saddened and appalled by what's happened, and we stand with our community and our and our fellow Catholics. And that was about it. There was nothing else on the on their website. No other. Um, and and I just thought, Your Excellency, that was your that was your son. That was your son that was killed in an accident. I, 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 I can't believe that's all you had to say. And what's most important is, like you said, that the, that the church not be seen as controversial to the right people. Or right? taken sides. And it's like, dude, this, this dude murdered people and you're too scared to say that. Yeah. that, And, and, and yeah, until... Well, you know, I go back to my my last episode, my rant against the hierarchy until, but I, I've come to the realization, and here's I, I, I meant to tell you, um, I'm I'm over that, I, I'm over that crisis I was in, um, because I came to an understanding that we're simply not going to be able to count on our institutions anymore. I think our institutions are too far gone at this point. Um. Even the Catholic Church. Now, hang on a second. Everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. I'm logging out. Yes, I still believe that Christ is in control of the Catholic Church. And yes, I still believe that Christ ultimately will fix whatever it is that's wrong in the church. I, I really do believe that. But at this point, we're at the point where Anything that can be done is going to have to be done by Christ. There might be a situation in 100, maybe 200 years where a revival will, will spark. Someone in an old seminary somewhere looking at old books will come across a 1962 missile and go, what the heck is this? And open it up. And that may spark a revival amongst the clergy that may end up saving the, the church. In our lifetimes, I'm going to be 100% honest, I don't see it happening. I could be wrong, but I don't hold out a lot of hope or um, I'm not sitting by the phone waiting for, to hear the news that the, the, Catholic clerk, the, the Catholic clergy has grown a spine. So we're going to have to learn to just do this without them. Here's the good news. Um, they're off at the G8 summit. They're jet setting around with their with their pals in you know the media and the global elites. They they don't really care about what you're doing, uh, unless you go to traditional Latin mass. But so to the extent that we just do this, I think for the most part they'll leave us alone. Um, we need to reaffirm that the truths of the church are not rooted in white supremacy. They're rooted in the deposit of faith. Now, here's why I think that's a good strategy. The only retort that the people who are running this other movement are going to be able to come back with is the Catholic church is a white supremacist organization, in which case you will see the bishops shrink up faster than, uh, you know, a, a, a 100% cotton suit. So they're not going to come out one way or the other. Uh, 
if the, if the, if someone were to make such a claim, then we get to ask why Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez are members of a white supremacist organization, well, and we should demand that they resign. They've already thrown that at the traditional Latin mass goers. Right. Yeah. Just 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 this one group of the Catholic Church yeah. is white supremacists. Well, well <laughs> like, like we've said before, it's coming for you, our our fearless leaders, because. No matter how much you strive to fit in with the world, they hate you. It doesn't matter what you do; they hate yeah. you. Why not do the right thing? And you know, they're not. Yep. Go, go, you know what you were saying about the institution and stuff like that is. I know we had a a discussion on apparitions, and I know on some of them you're kind of up in the air on on, on which way to go with them. But some people may call me foolish that aren't Catholic, or even some Catholics may call me foolish for this, but. I find peace in, in, in a couple things. One, of course, is the fact that Jesus Christ at his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, right? You know, God is in control. Jesus will not let his beautiful bride be, def you know, go into, uh, into the gutter, right? The, 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 the other thing is, is Our Lady of uh, Fatima, Our Lady of Akita, and also, I, I think it's, I might be messing up on the apparition, but Our Lady of Good Success, the one that was around the 15, 1600s down in Ecuador, mm -hmm. all said that there would be, a, you know, how they were, an apostasy from the higher up in the church. The church would go into an eclipse, but it would come out of that eclipse with a strong, small, faithful remnant. That may never happen in my lifetime, but I, but I find peace in, in those things, because like I said, it, I don't believe in all apparitions, but the ones I do believe in have definitely uh, uh, strengthened my faith. Well, and uh, the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church affirms that as well. Um, and so you don't just need to look at the apparitions to, to get there. Um, you can, and if I can, if I can find it here, um, that uh, I don't know. Keep talking while I look this well, up. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's a small book. I'm surprised you ain't found it yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I know, right? The the uh, the particular judgment in heaven, the final purification, last judgment. Well, you know, it's in here somewhere. But basically, essentially, it 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 is exactly. Uh, what you were talking about, well, 266. And, well, and, and nothing else, like I said, Jesus's words are good enough, right? I mean, I mean, we, we, we know how right and perfect Jesus was and how right and perfect he was when he spoke. But, you know, th what you find in the catechism and the apparition stuff are just reaffirming of, okay, I've, you know, in what Jesus said, j just strengthens your resolve to, to push through. If that, yeah. if that made yeah. sense, yeah. No, it absolutely does, and uh, I think that I I I do have hope that, I, and I do I know for a fact, the Catholic Church in the long run will win. Uh, but there and there have been times throughout history where, for several hundred years, the Catholic Church was just cor as corrupt as crooked as a dog's hind leg, as my dad would say, <laughs> um, and then. A, a, a movement will spark up the scholastics or the monastics or the Franciscans or, and this may surprise a lot of people, the society of Jesus was one of these uh, movements that, that, that came in at a time and brought a breath of fresh air 
to a church mired in worldliness and 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 sin and that it just that wasn't well, doing anything that's that was within its mission and those that those are the spring times of the church that we that we celebrate well look at all the after the protestant reformation when the church necessarily wasn't in its heyday before you know in so, in some cases look at all the great saints that god raised to bring about the restoration of his you know maybe not restoration is not the right word but the but to bring back the glory of his you know of his church as he as he wants it you know it it falls down like you said for a couple hundred years you had the protestant reformation taking people away and all that and all of a sudden god raises up a lot of great saints to say i'm still here i'm still in control catechism of the catholic church 675 before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception, offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist, a pseudo-messianism by which man glorifies himself in place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh." So that's that's not an apparition that you're free to believe or disbelieve. That is an article of faith defined in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So what's going on right now is is it's nothing it's nothing new and it's nothing unprecedented and it's nothing to despair about. We're just going to have to, I think, understand that uh, for a while the media is not going to be honest government is not going to be honest and the Catholic church is not going to have any courage. That being said, the Catholic church is not just the hierarchy, right? We're the Catholic church too. Mm -hmm. So we can take it upon ourselves to foster this new evangelization. So when they tell you, when somebody tells you something that uh, it's rooted in, you know, any, any value you hold that, you were pretty sure was necessary for a good and well-ordered society is actually rooted in white supremacy. Investigate that claim because probably not, you know, and I think, I think, you know, that, uh, but if you're really that concerned that something like that could be true, open up your catechism and find out if it's, if that's really something that's evil. Well, you know, uh, the, the the other buzzword is patriarchy, right? And I and I'd watch an interview with Jordan Peterson with another with another young lady one time, and she was droning on about how horrible patriarchy was and all that, and and the fruits of it were horrible, and the people were horrible, and all that. And he and he simply asked her, "Well, if everything's patriarchal and it's horrible, like you say, you're you're a result of the of a patriarchal society. Are you a terrible person?" And yeah. of course, she kind of stuttered a little bit, you know. But 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 but, but, but I think he brings a good, you know, it's kind of a good point, you know. Are is there bad in, in our current systems that we've had? Yes, but to say that everything is bad and everything that comes out of them is bad is it is in the end saying I am bad because I am a product of these these systems of these uh, of these groups, you know. Well, patriarchy is one of those things that. Um, you know, I, I, when I, when I think about my defense of quote unquote, the patriarchy, I think about the Manson family. Uh, so you got, you all familiar Charles Manson and his, 
followers who who murdered people and, um, and were just awful, awful human beings for the most part. Yeah. Um, uh, some of them are victims of brainwashing, but for the most part, you know, these are people with uh, some very ill-formed consciousness. That's let's just say that. Um, they moved out there to that spawn ranch because they were going to shake off the oppressiveness of the system. And what they ended up being was um, a group of women that Charlie would pimp out. They sold and did a numerous amount, numerous amounts of drugs to the point where Charlie was basically controlling their minds. He told them when to eat, when to sleep, who to kill. They, did not do anything unless Charlie said it was okay to do so. Charlie would beat the women if they refused to have sex with whoever Charlie said they were going to have sex with. They ate only after the dogs ate. The dogs would eat first, and then the women could eat. Because you see, what happens is when people throw off the patriarchy, they end up replacing it with a new patriarchy, only this new patriarchy doesn't have any of the safeguards built into the old one because the old one has been around for hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. So it's built in the safeguards to make sure that the patriarchy doesn't become too calcified and too rigid and that there are safeguards for the right of the individual within the patriarchy. So the idea that we need to cast off the patriarchy and replace it with what exactly? Because without exception, every time that some revolutionary movement is going to overthrow the patriarchy, they end up instituting something infinitely worse than what it was they got rid of. Um, not, I know they call themselves progressives. Folks, not everything that looks like progress actually is. Be very, very careful. And the, um, and the thing is, is that patriarchy with Christian values is not a bad thing, right? So, 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 so for instance, I had a conversation at work with a lady, which is, I don't know if it was wise of me to have or not, but in my defense, I didn't start it, but, but, we, but, <laughs> but we were talking about, you know, my wife staying at home and all that and how, you know, I don't let my wife work or whatever, which, which isn't true. I mean, if I could m make my wife do things, I would, I would probably be a lot worse off because I'd be making her do a bunch of stupid <laughs> things, right? But anyway, yeah. <clears throat> so, and, and, and on a side note, it, it always kind of irks me. People say, oh, well, they have to stay home. They never consider, like if you ask my wife, they never consider that this is what these women actually want to do. If you ask my wife, she said, I always wanted to be a mother and stay at home with my children. You know, it's, mm. it's like if, yeah. if today's society, if you're not in a career, you're you're oppressed or you're or you're abused, or, you know, something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with this situation, right? Yep. But anyway, yep. so I, I, I guess the conversation kind of went to, the, spoke to the patriarchy and stuff like that, right? And, and this is why I say it's not bad if it, if it is well-formed with, with Christian values, okay? So I told her, I said, look, I believe that men and women— are equal in their dignity as people and should should be treated as such, right? They should not be abused. They should not be, you know, ill-treated and so on and so forth. I said, however, they are not equal in their capabilities and roles. And as a society, we seem to convene or, or, or try to push that fact of life aside. I said, we are not equal 
in our capabilities. We are equal in our dignity, but not in our capabilities. She goes, what do you mean? I said, well, women as a whole are geared better to maintain a home, you know, and when maintain a home, it means you're not just sitting at home watching TV. It means that you're, you know, but being a homemaker is a, is a full-time job. I said they are better at, at rearing and nurturing children than men on a whole. And men men are better at getting out there and dealing with 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 people a lot of cases. They're better at the manual labor. They're better at, at not letting emotions get in the way of rational thinking in most cases. And of course she bring she brought up a couple instances of of, of, of well this woman did this, you know, like Andrea Yates. Well she sure I said there's always exceptions to the rule, but the exceptions do not nullify the norm. Right. By by definition, they 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 define but exactly. the very fact that we would consider them exceptions means that they're, they're right. outliers. Exactly. Right. So so I said the the fact that my you know my wife stays at home is viewed as a patri, patri a sign of the patriarchy, but you know comparing that with your your Manson deal, you know one one I like to believe. I I I use Christian values in dictating that. The other was just whatever I want to do because I'm I'm God type mentality, and you see the difference in the two. Yeah, and yeah, the Catechism again talks about what what we mean when we say equality because there's a sense in which we could we talk about equal dignity, and that's true. But it is not true that all human beings are the same and are therefore to be treated the same. Yeah. That's not Mark Robertson's opinion on things. <laughs> that is uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1936. On coming into the world, man is not equipped with everything he needs for developing his bodily and spiritual life. He needs others. Differences appear tied to age, physical abilities, intellectual or moral aptitudes, the benefits derived from social commerce, and the distribution of wealth. The talents are not distributed equally. These differences belong to God's plan, who wills that each receive what he needs from others, and that those endowed with particular talents share the benefits with those who need them. These differences encourage and often oblige persons to practice generosity, kindness, and sharing of goods. They foster the mutual enrichment of cultures. There, there's a movement out there right now that claim, that to claim that there is any difference between people is is somehow an act of of aggression or of 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 racism or sexism or or, or whatever um and while it is true the catholic church does uh in in 1935 say that every form of social or cultural discrimination in the fundamental personal rights on the grounds of sex race color social conditions language or religion must be curbed and eradicated it is not the case, therefore, that to recognize inherent and Im that actual differences in people is immoral. In fact, it's, it's very moral because it's the truth. And that's, uh, be not confused about this. There is no such thing as any sort of justice that is at the service of a lie. If you have to tell a lie, and participate in some sort of a collective delusion about something, you are not doing justice, period. Justice is always at the service of the truth because the truth is the ultimate good. 
Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is nothing more righteous or holy than God, who is the truth. So when we're going to have to, and, and you know, we're, we're talking about this new evangelization, the hierarchy is not going to help us. Let me go ahead and tell you right now, you're going to be called a racist on Twitter. You're going to be called a white supremacist on Twitter. Get over it. Huh. Um, it just, just get over it. Uh, the, seriously, the cross is the consequence the world doles out for telling the truth. We do not shun the cross in our religion. We accept it because we don't tell lies. And if somebody demands that you say that Caitlyn Jenner is a biological female, uh, with, with, with charity and with politeness, you say, no, he's not. Caitlyn Jenner can change his name to Caitlyn, but Caitlyn Jenner is a man. He's a biological man. You're not a bigot when you do that. You're not a sexist. You're not a, you don't have some weird phobia. You're telling the truth. Yeah. Just tell the truth and let you the know. chips fall where they may. It always kind and of, if we do that, we will change the culture. It, it always kind of worries me because at work you have to take, um, what's it called? Inclusion or whatever type training. You know, mm -hmm. and it, you know, it talks about right, rightly so that we do not discriminate or treat people badly because of their race, sex, orientation, or gender identity, so on and so forth, right? But we, we last few years we've had part of the training says if somebody wants their pronouns or to be called, you know, something different than what they are, you have to do that. And I've said that I, I can't. I told somebody once I said I can't in good conscience do that. You know, if if they come to me and they want me to to back up their sin by actively participating in it. Cause that's what I view. You are participating in that sin by all of a sudden this, this girl that is claiming to be a boy or vice versa. You want me to acknowledge that I will not participate in that. I will treat you with respect. I will treat you well, and I will help you whenever you ask me to, but I will not participate. So I haven't had to cross that bridge yet, but it does kind of worry me sometimes. Oh, it's coming. I mean, make no mistake. At this point, I do not see a way. I think we all assumed for a long time, and one of the things that frustrates us, and one of the things that frustrated me, if you listen to the last episode, is we just sort of all assumed that courage would come from the institutions down to us. In actuality, it goes the other way. Um, I was thinking about this earlier. If, if you want to know whose fault it is that our current hierarchy is so cowardly and unfaithful, it's the laity's fault. Because the priesthood is celibate, which means the laity does not come from the priesthood. <laughs> priesthood comes from the laity. They come from the pews, not the other way around. So a whole generation of priests and religious that have lost the faith and lost all courage. They got that from somewhere. So let's, let's, if we want to, if we want to change the culture, if we want to change, if we want to give courage to the church, it's got to start with us. It's, it's got to start with the laity. Um, and so we just have to have the courage to do that. Now, uh, my personal theory is most of these people are cowards. 
meaning they are able to accomplish everything they're able to accomplish through threats, intimidation, force. And once they realize that you don't care about that, they will leave you alone. And I've got, I, I can prove that. I can prove that. There are actual white supremacists in this country. There are people who have joined the American Nazi party. They don't make a secret of it. They wear uniforms for God's sakes. I mean, they, 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 they tattoo swastikas on their foreheads. Okay. But that means that they don't really care if you call them a racist on Twitter. So by and large, they're left alone by these people. I mean, you would think that somebody who was so concerned about white supremacy that no stone can be left on turn, unturned, they would start with the actual skinheads. Now they by and large leave them alone because those people don't care about being called a racist on Twitter. Like I said, they, they've got tattoos of swastikas on their foreheads. They don't care about that. Well, bullies don't pick on the, the hard. They pick on the weak or the ones that are easy. And so my theory here is if we just understand that you're going to be called a racist on Twitter, but here's the thing. You know you're not a racist. God knows you're not a racist. And to be honest, the people who are calling you a racist know you're not one either. So who are you trying to convince? I mean, Kamala Harris claimed that Joe Biden was a white supremacist leading up to the, the, the primaries. And then she joined his ticket. When she was asked about that, she said, well, it was a debate. Meaning... Yeah, I don't really believe that that's true, but there was a chance you might, so I said it. However, I can score points. Which leads me to the thing that we need to talk about in closing up our little uh, discussion here. And that is also found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And it's, uh, I think, the, the, the source of everything that we're really talking about here and everything that's been going on. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's in Article 8 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the Eighth Commandment. Um, on, on my copy, that starts on page 591, but you know everybody's got a different edition. So. Uh, but essentially it starts oh, at man, paragraph 20, <laughs> 2461, 2464, excuse me. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. The Eighth Commandment forbids misrepresenting the truth in our relations with others. This moral prescription flows from the vocation of the holy people to bear witness to their God who is the truth and wills the truth. Offenses against the truth expressed by word or deed a refusal to commit oneself to moral uprightness. They are fundamental infidelities to God, and in this sense they undermine the foundations of the covenant. Um... There is, and there's, I'm going to skip a few things because there is uh, a thing here that I, I did want to uh, point out, which is that uh, offenses against the truth, okay? Offenses against the truth, uh, 2477. Respect for the reputation of persons forbids every attitude and word likely to cause them unjust injury. He becomes guilty of rash judgment who even tacitly assumes as true without sufficient foundation the moral fault of a neighbor of detraction, who without objectively valid reason discloses another's faults and failings to persons who did not know them, of calumny, who by remarks contrary to the truth harms the reputation of others and gives occasion for false judgments concerning them. Now, why do I bring this up? 
this deal we have of calling people a white supremacist. When you say something like that about somebody, I know that we've gotten to this place in our culture where it's just a thing to do. You know, it's sort of a, uh, well, I don't really have anything else to call you, so I'll just sort of say that, you know. I, I'm not here to tell you what to think about Kyle Rittenhouse. But I am almost 99.9% .9 sure he's not a white supremacist. I've seen no evidence that he's a white supremacist. I've not heard him say or, 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 or espouse any tenet of white supremacist ideology. So when you say something like that, it's not just rhetoric. It's not just posturing. You've committed a grave, grave sin by damaging the reputation of somebody you don't even know with something that is so outrageous, you would need some serious proof that something like that is true before you could say something like that and get away with it. And if you're out there doing that to score points on Twitter or Facebook, you really need to do a serious, and, and you call yourself a Catholic and you're, you're involved in going to the sacraments and things like that, you need to do a serious examination of your conscience and go to confession if you've been doing that because that is wrong. And we, do, we cannot participate in that. And I don't care who we're talking about here. I don't care if they're left, right, Republican, Democrat. We cannot call people things like that without any evidence that it's true because well i'm looking for shock value well and i think i think a lot of it also has to do many times in, in my experience that i've seen it's more or less pride because when you're in a debate with somebody people people don't know how to have debates today and still be friends afterwards they don't know how to disagree philosophically or theologically and still respect each other's dignity. So a lot of times people seem to be intellectually deficient or or they don't really know what to say because somebody's brought a point to them they either haven't heard or that that proves their position different. So what does their pride make them do? I'm going to say I'm going to call them these awful names or say that they're this awful type person because that's all I have. And you know that, that, that plays a big factor into it as well. Now, there's a different... Now, if you were to come out and say, Kyle Rittenhouse is an awful person. Well, it's definitely not charitable to say something like that, but that it's not a specific indictment of a, of a thing that you're just sort of letting people know you don't like him. Okay, I, I would caution you to think about charity, but... You, that's not what we're talking about. If you're going out here saying, yeah, he's a white supremacist, that actually has a definition. That's a, that's a real thing. And it's not a nice thing. It's not a polite thing that you would want to, that you would want to be or want to be called unless you were one and you didn't care. But we've gotten to the point now where uh, we're calling any African-American who has values and principles of black white supremacists the dumbest thing i've ever heard in my life and if you're somebody who believes that there are black white supremacists honestly um 
you really need to think about whether or not that makes any sense. Because it because I can tell you one thing about actual white supremacists, they do not accept black people into their organizations, groups, or or, or whatever. And they like being called uh, white supremacists. And they and they don't mind being called it because that's what they, they think that's the good thing to be. I mean, well, and I, I was gonna bring this up earlier when we were talking about self defense, but I think it it ties into this as well. You know, uh, I have to give credit to Sam Guzman from the Catholic Gentleman because I, in, in reading some things before this episode, he writes in an article based on uh, paragraph twenty two sixty four of the Catechism. Basically, he, he writes, in other words, loving one's neighbor means nothing if you don't first love yourself in a rightly ordered way. So in order to, you know, uh, you know, he, he was he was talking about it in, in the self-defense aspect. But, you know, if I don't love myself in a rightly ordered way, how can I expect to then show that same, same type of respect to others that even I may disagree with? You can't because you don't you don't even love yourself. So you are projecting that onto the other person because you you know, this person may be smarter than you, this person may be better looking, they may be getting the best of you or, or whatever the case may be, you you you're projecting on them is, is the way that I feel they also do as well in these situations, which which leads you into the sins of detraction, um rash judgment and uh call them how do you say it? um call them a name is that how you say it Cal- calumny calumny yeah. there you go <clears throat> i told you english isn't my first language <laughs> well um you know and if you're if you're on twitter and facebook uh the, the number 2498 civil authorities have particular responsibilities in the field uh, they're talking about use of the media uh, civil authorities have particular responsibilities in this field because of the common good. It is for the civil authority to defend and safeguard a true and just freedom of information. By promulgating laws and overseeing their application, public authorities should ensure that public morality and social progress are not gravely endangered through misuse of the media. Civil authorities should punish any violation of the rights of individuals to their reputation and privacy. They should give timely and reliable reports concerning the general good or respond to the well-founded concerns of the people. Nothing can justify, and I want to be clear about this, it doesn't say some things are justified. It doesn't say it might be justified. It says nothing can justify recourse to disinformation for manipulating public opinion through the media. Interventions by public authorities should avoid injuring the freedom of individuals or groups. So if you're on Twitter and Facebook, going on and on about Kyle Rittenhouse's white supremacy. Uh, Unless you know something I don't. Now, you know, it's entirely possible. I don't know everything about this kid. I'm not telling you to love him or hate him. I'm not telling you he's a hero or not. My hero is Jesus Christ. So that's where I stand on that. But I, I, I highly doubt it. Kyle Rittenhouse, a white supremacist. Probably not is my first inclination. Probably not. And if you've got information to the contrary that validate that validates the truth, then share that. Cuz we we all deserve we all deserve to know. But if you don't, you have no business saying something like that. That is incredibly um 
uh, inflammatory. It's dangerous without any consideration for how you could hurt some his, him, his family, his reputation. It's incredibly irresponsible. And it, it just, um, well. that's something that we should know better. Well. Like, again, that, that's something I learned when I was five or six years old. You don't say things like that about people if it's not true. And I, 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 I know that, well, I, I just don't, that's all I got to say on that well, this, topic. Well, this may surprise you, but even, even one of our priests in the Catholic Church is using social media to do exactly what the catechism is telling us not to do. You know, James, I remember. Oh, I know who Father we're talking James about now. James Martin. Now, <laughs> did he type it? No, but he retweeted it. Basically talking about the acquittal you know, means to threaten and demean black and brown uh, sisters and brothers and that, you know, it talks about how the acquittal is protecting white privilege and probably white supremacy and all that. So, again, it's, it's even more saddening when you see it come from our, you know, from our leaders. But, again, they're just so calculated in the way they say and the way they do things that they are able to push a message that is contrary, but not actually be accused of, well, that's not what I said, you know, or that's not exactly what I said, or that's not what I meant, but I don't know, just, just, uh, what, what do they call them? Uh, uh, snake oil salesmen. Yeah. And they, and they constantly, they're changing the, they're constantly changing the definition of words so that they can never be caught in a lie. And we've got to be smarter than, than that and realize what they're doing. You know, um, this idea that let me, I'll give you a perfect example. The idea that black people cannot be racist. Have you ever heard a more dehumanizing racist statement in your life? And I don't mean racist towards white people. It's racist towards black people. It is, it is one of the most dehumanizing things I've ever heard in my life. Because essentially what you've said is, white people have moral agency. We can tell the difference between right and wrong because we're human beings. That's the difference. But I mean, when, you, when a dog kills another dog, you don't put a dog on trial. You don't arrest him, charge him with murder, and put him on trial. Because the dog does not have moral agency. The dog did not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't know the difference between good and evil. The dog is just pure instinct. Human beings, on the other hand, know the difference between right and wrong. And so to recognize human dignity is to necessarily hold us accountable for our actions. When you say... There are whole sins out there that African-Americans are just not subject to. You've essentially said, yeah, they're people, but they're not people like we're people. It's the most racist thing I've ever heard in my life. That's the white supremacy right there. There it is. It's right there for you to see. The idea that, um, that they, there's something about the way they treat black people. They treat them like pets. I was going to say, I mean, I hadn't thought about what you just said uh, in that regard, which I think is an excellent point. But, yes, they they do treat black people as children that need guiding. And without these moral, morally superior agents and people to guide them, they they would be worse off. You, like you can, you, when a white person commits a crime, you can hold him accountable. But if a black person commits a crime, he's just responding to 400 years of oppression. 
So white people act, black people only react. Well, yeah, no, nothing racist about that. And I would argue that we hold all people in a higher dignity than that because we say, hey, you're all capable barring any mental you know, issues or anything like that. We are all capable of living a moral and just life on our own. You know, as far as we don't, we, we don't need these babysitters guiding us and telling us what to do all the time. And um, so, so if you want to think about ideas rooted in white supremacy, well, think about some of the things that that are being advocated. In, in, in the name of quote-unquote racial justice. And, and really ask yourself, is this in accordance with the values that are given to us by Christ that we know are good? Because I got to tell you, you may say, well, I'm not sold that the Catholic Church is, is the answer. Okay, fair enough. But I can tell you what, this is the only institution that has a track record of building a civilization that works. These other folks don't know how to build anything. All they know how to do is tear down, dismantle, destroy. That's, it's easy to destroy something. It's not easy to build it. Take it from a traditionalist Catholic. It took 2,000 years for the traditional Latin mass to arrive at us in the form it did in 1962. It took 50 to almost wipe it completely off the face of the planet. It's easy to destroy things. It's not quite so easy to build institutions. So and, we, we, you know. And even if you don't agree, like you said, agree with the Catholic Church, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, all these social justice issues, all this technological advances, scientific advances, the Catholic Church played a huge role. I mean, I mean was the leader in bringing these things to the world. So that, so that we can sit here in, in a pretty good amount of peace and prosperity, you know, when you compare it to the history of the world, um, thanks to the Catholic Church. And I'm going to put a plug in for Tom Wood's book, The Catholic Church Built Western Civilization. Fantastic book. If you haven't read it, read it. I will say I haven't read it, but I listened to it on audiobook one time when I was driving one time. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. Um... I was I was looking for there is a uh, there's a, a a section in the catechism that 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 says that um, that holding human beings accountable for their decisions is is an act of, of recognizing their dignity, and so when you when you do that, you're actually not. Uh, you're you're not really in the pursuit of any sort of justice. You you dehumanize, and 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 violate the dignity of your fellow man when you claim that for some reason, he just now, okay, are there people, individual people that due to illnesses, mental illnesses, or developmental um, uh, issues, we would not hold responsible in the same way as someone who did not have those? Absolutely, and that's that would be just. You, you, you would not hold uh, someone who, because of schizophrenia, literally can't tell what reality is, responsible for his actions the same way another person. 
That's on an individual case-by-case basis. But to claim that there are whole groups of people that you've classified as not just not having the humanity to be rational moral agents. Um, I think I found the Nazi. I think I found him. And it was you the whole time. <laughs> Who knew, you know? I don't know. Just, uh, just something to think about. <sighs> Jace, you still there, bud? Oh, yeah, I'm still here. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay, sorry about that. I, I put you on mute. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want people to hear me cough here. Um, um, no, I'm I'm doing good, and I know we're coming up on our time here. I just I'm not gonna read it, but I just if anybody's interested on the some of the topics, kind of a I think a good reading would be because it, it kind of summarizes uh, the tension between respect for life, obedience of the fifth commandment, and self-defense is Pope John Paul II's encyclical, encyclical letter, Evangelium Vitae, if I said that correctly. Evangelium Vitae. Vitae. There we go. Vitae. Yeah. So uh, just check that out if you, if you want to explore the subject a little bit further. Uh, and I, I, that's an excellent encyclical, by the way. If you look at, he, he makes... He, he gives us a warning about the culture of death. He says, well, he, and he wrote this, I think, what was this, back in the 90s? And he basically says, humanity's at a crossroads between the culture of life and the culture of death. If the culture of death succeeds, you will see, bam, 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 he just lays it out. Go read that. Tell me if any of that sounds vaguely familiar. And what was, what was crazy is when he wrote that, the things he were predicting were so insane that people were like, come on, come on. That, that, that's, uh, he, you know, that's, uh, uh, he, he's just going for shock value here. Yeah, well, go back and read it now. Find out how crazy all that stuff is because it, it all came true. And uh, we, were, we were asleep at the wheel and we paid the price. So... Well, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I did you have anything else you want to discuss, or you? Yeah, that's you good that's, <laughs> that's all I got. Hopefully, hopefully we can we can keep keep going with. I know I know we started this podcast to talk about the mass, and we haven't had much of an opportunity to do that lately because there's some other things going on. I I, I thought we should touch on. So no, I think I, I think it's been very beneficial. I know sometimes we kind of get all over the place where. We, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, there's a progression when you listen to it, but I, I know personally I have read more documents and learned more about my faith than I would have otherwise. So hopefully for the, for the listeners that we have, you know, they've, they've done the same thing. Um, I know you were, you were in talks with uh, possibly putting our, our, our mean faces up on the screen eventually because, because we would like to have that interaction eventually with people. Um so. Yeah, I think that I, I I do think it'd be cool to get on YouTube, um, and I'm gonna look into doing that. And yeah. just because I like that comment feature, and maybe people might want to interact with us a little bit and call us white supremacists in the comment section. Who knows? Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and maybe we can bring a little bit of the pain on us our, ourselves, and um, you know, maybe, maybe we can uh, try to try to do some advertisement for it or whatever. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I don't know about you. I'm not as worried about becoming YouTube famous or podcast famous. I just, uh, I think it'd be nice to have some interaction with some people. 
you know, as far as as far as our show topics, whether they agree or disagree, and uh, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Me, me, and you personally, we enjoy open debate. I, we can have a debate and not hate you, you know. So that's that's another yeah, thing. That, I, that's another thing about being a traditional man, about being a a trad man, is that you're able to do these tasks. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, uh, you know there. You and I had a conversation. Uh, well, not much of a conversation. We were we were texting. There was a situation at a Catholic school where a um, uh, a young person was wearing uh, some oh, some yeah. gay pride material, a t shirt or something like that. Was asked, uh, was told to uh, not wear that t shirt to school, and then protesters showed up at the the school's mass. I think the next day yeah. uh, to, to demonstrate in solidarity with, you and, know, and even the lectors and stuff like that got in on the protest, which is mass is not a place and, for that. But anyway, and while we cannot be, we can't compromise on, on the moral truths of the church. My thinking was there are whole swaths of young people who simply don't have never heard I've never had the occasion to hear the Catholic Church's argument for its position on human sexuality. Why it te- why is it that the Catholic Church teaches what it teaches about human sexuality? And because once you know that, it, it, it's teaching on homosexuality as well as premarital sex and extramarital sex and things like that becomes quite not controversial, but a logical consequence of its understanding of the human sexual faculty. Yeah. Now, there are, there are some people that's going to fall on deaf ears. They don't care. They're not in it to listen to anybody. They're going to tell you what's right or wrong. Hey, don't cast the pearls before the swine. But if there are people who we might be able to reach that way, um, it's, it's, not, it's not inappropriate to have a person investigate the church's claim is to truth in the spirit of finding the truth, right? If you're just doing it to be obstinate and I'm going to, I'm going to show them, you know, that's, that's a different thing. But when Christ appeared before the apostles after his resurrection and Thomas just couldn't believe it, Jesus didn't say, uh, woe to those who just don't believe because I've told them to believe, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, no, put your finger right in here. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll wait. And Thomas came and put his finger in the side of Christ. Christ has nothing to hide because he's the truth. And everything that's true is ours. Everything that's true is ours. Folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Trad Men. And uh, hopefully we'll get to do this again next time. I have an interesting thought on the next topic. Jace, I'll talk to you about it offline. And we'll see maybe if uh, that that might work. All right. No, sounds good to me. Uh, hope everybody has a good week or however long it is to our next podcast. And uh, God bless. <laughs> God bless everybody. Have a good one.